the second time today I've been wrong. Don't tell anybody. Man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back with you guys. Um, I appreciate last week, if you, if you were unaware, um, my whole crew was sick and uh, we were out of pocket. We were not able to be here. We all, all got COVID, which is not fun. That's our first time to have it and I don't recommend it to anybody. Um, just in case you were wondering uh, how that was going to go down. Um, but I missed you guys. I appreciate the Glasscocks and the Westbrooks and the Hills for holding down the fort for us last week. I was trying to get on Zoom while I was uh, cooking that morning, and, and it just wasn't working. And the kids were like, because they were excited about it too. And then later, I don't remember who it was, sent me a picture, and it was just those three couples. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's why we didn't do Zoom this morning. Nobody was there. So... I say all that to say I missed you guys last week, and I'm glad to be back. I'm, I'm sipping on some tea to try to keep my throat in check this morning, so I'm going to try my best to not cough and do nasty stuff in the mic this morning. Um, conveniently, or perhaps providentially, um, we were scheduled to start a new section in James this week, which is good because that means I don't have to do a whole bunch of recap about last week. But I do want us um, to, to remind us of a couple of things. Number one, we know that it's a new section because James starts out this next. We're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 today. And he starts out by saying, my dear brothers. And we've discussed already that anytime James says, my dear brothers, he's starting a new thought or, or a new teaching. Um, and that certainly is true today. I want to remind us as we jump back into this, because it's been a couple of weeks, that our goal in this study, as we're looking at the book of James, is to understand and to develop true faith. Because true faith never stops growing. I, I've talked about before, the, the tendency that one can fall into when you look at the book of James is to look at it as a spiritual checklist of, this is the way I'm supposed to act, so I'm going to externally change my behavior so that I look like the type of person that James is describing, which is backwards. What we ought to do is let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, and when we look at our lives and examine it against the truth of Scripture, we're going to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not our good behaviors trying to make us look like something else. Before we dive in today, I kind of want to set the stage for what James is addressing, because there's some history that we need to understand before we can really understand today's passage. And so bear with me, we're going to spend a few minutes this morning kind of developing an idea before we jump, jump into the main Scripture. I was thinking about it this week, and it's, it's always incredible, 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 I can't talk today, incredible to me how issues don't change. And I want to I clarify that. Here's what I mean by that. The subject may change, but the underlying problem is still there. I remember when we were in college, Glenn made us go through this practice in one of our classes of trying to drill down to the base reason why we do the things that we do. And you think that may be a simple process, but it took us that whole period to drill down one idea. And I don't even remember what it was, but I remember him saying, yes, but why are we doing that? And we'd say, well, for this reason. Okay, but why are you doing that? And we spent all this time trying to understand the underlying issue. And we see this happen in Scripture all the time as we study it. We'll open up the Bible, and it seems as if the author that we're reading is addressing something that's happening right now in real time. You may be struggling with something, and you open up the Word, and you read it, and you go, wow, is that relevant for right now today? And I think that the reason for that is because the issues don't change. The underlying sin problem is still there. Maybe it's something in our personal, high, personal lives, or perhaps it's something that's happening culturally. 
The same is certainly true in the passage we're going to read today. And as we dive in, I want you to be aware that today I'm not going to be speaking to any particular subjects, but to the underlying issue that causes those particular subjects to be an issue. In fact, we're not even, I'm not even going to name any of the subjects that we find ourselves divided over. And one or two may pop in your head today as we move through this, and that's totally fine. Let the Holy Spirit guide your thoughts. That may be something you're going to see. I'm going to share a story about how God dealt with me last night about this very issue. It's a fun story um, about God correcting me, okay? So as we all know, division is unfortunately not new in the church, right? One of the commentaries that I read this week um, specifically about the second half of verse 19 in James chapter 1 said this, and I, this was new information for me. It said, in the early church, the services were informal, and often the listeners would debate with the speaker. There were even fightings and wars among the brethren James was writing to. You may be like me and be astonished to hear that, to hear James, and we're going to see this when we get to chapter 4, verse 1 later in the book, but he describes the fighting that's happening in these churches as war. That's a strong word to consider. Think about us here on a Sunday morning. If we're here gathered together, and you know me, I like to have some audience interaction. Imagine if that turned into an argument that could be described as a war. We might have some new people show up for sure just to watch and then bring some popcorn, okay? I think we've all experienced in some ways, though, those kinds of feelings. When I say we, when talking about division, I'm not speaking specifically of the Gathering Place West, although that could be the case as well. I'm speaking more of the church on a global sense. In the world that we live in today and in the church, there's no shortage of things that get people fired up, right? That get people talking really passionate about something that they believe and often we find in ourselves a desire to be right, a desire to be heard, or at the very least to simply be acknowledged. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those three things, with, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be right, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be heard, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be acknowledged, but we have to be careful. Because if we place our desire for those things above God and His work, we are in the wrong. This week I heard a clip of Francis Chan's sermon from the Passion Conference this past year. And if you're, if you're not aware of what Passion is, it's a conference that's been held like since I was a kid for, for people the age of 18 to 25 year olds. So he's, he's speaking specifically to that demographic, to an arena with thousands and thousands of people. And this is what he said. He said, I think one of the most destructive practices of your generation is that you value your own thoughts way too much. When God says, my thoughts are not the same as yours, and you want to look inside, and you want to tell everyone else what you've been thinking and what you've been feeling, rather than opening up the Word of God and saying, these truths are way beyond mine. Chan's referencing Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, eight through 9. I want us to see this for ourselves, because I don't want you to think he's making it up for that I am. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking what God has spoken to him. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways, your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
When I heard this clip this week, I thought of this passage in James and the Holy Spirit made a connection for me that I want you guys to see today. We have so many people these days, so many organizations that are willing to quote-unquote take a stand for something, for what they believe. And as we're about to see, that's not a new thing. Also, I don't think this is true of only one generation. Francis Chan was addressing one particular group, but I think this is true of all generations. And I know that because we see it in Scripture. We'll jump to that in a little bit. But I think it's something that all of us have or will or do struggle with. After all, we, we want to make a difference in the world, right? We talked about that in our last series, Love Like That. Like we know that the stakes are huge, that our lives on earth are important, that God has a mission for us. And as I, as I prepared this message this week, as I thought about our church, as I thought about all of you, what I know to be true about all of you is that you want to make a positive impact on this earth. When you die and go, back, go to heaven, you want to know, when you're on your death, deathbed, you want to know that the people that were in your purview, the people that were in your life, knew that you loved them and that you love the Lord and that the Lord loves them. That's what all of us want. I was thinking about when I was a kid. My dad took me hiking several times. There's a lot of fun stories there. But what I want to key in on today is that he taught me some of the philosophies that he learned when he was a Boy Scout. And one of those in particular is that you always leave your campsite better than you found it, right? And I think that's how most of us want to approach the world. We want to know that when we live whatever amount of time God gives us, that while we're here, we made this place better. And that's a good thing. The problem is, is that we talk way more than we listen. Look at what James is telling the church. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And remember, he's addressing brothers and sisters who are at war with one another in a church service. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So here's today's only point. This is what I want us to go home with. is talk less, listen more. Whether you're aware of it or not, that's a play on one of the major themes of Hamilton, the Broadway hit. Now you're all singing the song in your head if you've seen the play. <laughs> Sally Grinnan. Throughout this musical, Aaron Burr, one of, the, one of the historical characters, repeatedly tells Alexander Hamilton to talk less and smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You hear that repeated all through the, the musical. And while I intended this for, for this to be a clever way for you to remember today's point of the message, talking less and smiling more is not what James is talking about. James is saying, talk less and listen more. James's goal was not for people to hide their thoughts from the world so that nobody knew what they were thinking, but rather to dig into what God is saying and share that with the world. Think about what it must have been like for the early church. They're at war, right? But think about the context in which this is happening. For these people, remember we've talked about James is addressing Messianic Jews people who grew up in the Jewish faith and religion, who saw the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and said, yes, this is the Messiah, and we're choosing to put our trust in him. These people that grew up in this Jewish faith and religion, 
had an understanding drilled into them from the moment of their birth until this point of what it meant to live in relationship with God. And Jesus came and he flipped that upside down. And in the middle of all of that turmoil, they're trying to figure out what does it really mean to live in relationship with God? In light of what we've grown up with and in light of what Jesus has done, how do we marry these two together? It's not simple. We know that from our own lives. They're trying to reconcile the old ways and the old beliefs with the revelation that Jesus gave them and now the presence of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of them. And I don't think it's too far of a jump for us to think that these angry rants or or what's going on that James calls wars in chapter 4, I don't think it's too far to think that those people are just passionately sharing what they thought was right, quote-unquote, in terms of what it meant to be in a relationship with God. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty confident because I know me and I know my heart that if you come to me and you share some philosophical or, or biblical principle and it's not on par with what I believe the Bible says, we're going to have a conversation about that. Now, it's going to be in private. We're not going to do it in this setting. But if you come in with me that something that is completely unfounded as far as I can read in Scripture, I can't just let that slide. We've got to have a conversation. Now, I'm going to do it peacefully. You guys know me. You know me personally, my personality. I think that's what's happening in the church, both then and today. Look at those first two verses again, verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger that James is saying here can also be translated as man's wrath. Man meaning a person, and the wrath usually was, was used, this word, as something that was epic in scale. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, James later refers to these fights as wars, and obviously James is talking about something severe. I wish I could say that those types of things don't happen today, but the reality is they do. Let me say it this way. If someone misrepresents God by portraying any emotion that God has not, that person has crossed a line. We have to be so careful. And that's what James is telling the church, to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. James knows firsthand the results of someone acting quickly and not listening for God's directions. We're going to look at some examples in just a minute. But let's bring this back personal before we do. As we just discussed, as I know we all agree, all of us want to leave a positive mark on this world. That may not be true of every person that's alive, but as I think about you guys, I know that to be true about your lives. You may not want to see your name in lights, but you do want to see a significant impact in the world that is directly around you. When you leave this world, you want people to know that you love them. The underlying issue that James is addressing and that Francis Chan is addressing and that God is addressing with you and with me here today is our inclination to speak first and think later. This is not a new trend that belongs to any particular generation. We see so many throughout Scripture who fall into the same trap. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Think about King David when the prophet Nathan confronts him about killing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Listen to this story because this is, this is fresh for me today. So, so the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said, 
King David, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. And Nathan replied to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. David spoke so quickly with such passion, with anger, before taking time to consider what Nathan was really telling him. That it wasn't just a story. God had a message for David, but David didn't pause long enough to realize what the man who the man was that he was so angry with. Look, David was not a dumb guy. He wasn't dull. But he let his emotions speak before his brain could catch up. What about Peter in the garden? Remember I told you James had some personal experiences? This was one of them. John chapter 18, verses 4 through 11. says, Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I'm he, Jesus told him. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fill the words he said, I have not lost one of those that you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malthus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that my father has given me? James saw Peter act without God's direction. I loved it, and, and we didn't read it today for the sake of time, but if you look at the same story in the other Gospels, Jesus really kind of fusses at Peter about this. This was not the first time that Peter acted this way either. There are many more examples of this in Scripture, but I think that point that James is trying to make is quite clear quite clear we need to listen we need to think and we need to pray before we speak or before we act remember us discussing at the beginning of the study how James grew up with the book of Proverbs I mean it was something that they would have studied a whole lot look at these passages that are linked to this section in the book of James Proverbs chapter 17 verse 27 through 28 the one who has knowledge restrains his words and the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Or Proverbs ten nineteen, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Or Proverbs fourteen twenty nine, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Church, this is not a new problem. It's not a new issue. It's an underlying issue that all humans have always struggled with. So I don't know about you, but this makes me ask the question, should I say anything at all? 
maybe asking yourself, Will, are you saying that I shouldn't speak up when I feel something's off in the world? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. There are absolutely times when we as individuals or as the church should speak out. I would ask and I believe that James is asking that we need to take the time to consider what God is saying before we speak or before we act. I'll give you another example. Okay, so yesterday, I'm writing this message, right? Been sitting at my desk all day studying this passage, writing all this out. I didn't write this example till this morning because God didn't. He, I knew it in the moment, but God further iterated the point to me this morning as I was spending time with him. Okay, so I've been all day at my desk with these thoughts in my head. Literally, okay, not a few minutes past. Literally, I get up from the desk. I pick up my iPad and the screen wakes up and I see a tweet that pops up. And I read it. Y'all got so mad. <laughs> Literally, I get up from my desk and I notice this tweet. I won't say who tweeted it, but let's just say this person is at a level of leadership that they should know how this works, okay? To paraphrase, this person says, because we are in a global crisis, the gas station owners and operators need to drop the price of gas at the pump to reflect the price you are paying for the product and do it now. Okay, caveat, JJ and Mayor, you may not know, I, I don't, my full-time job is for a company, and we build gas stations, okay? So this is a part of the world that I know very well, okay? Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but I work in this industry, and I work very closely with the people that he is talking to, the owners and the operators. These are my people, okay? These are my friends. These are my colleagues. These are people that I spend as much time with as I do my family, I went off the handle. I was not, like, I'm in the bedroom talking to Bethany, and I'm, I'm pacing, like, and I'm explaining all this stuff to her. I'll explain it to you in just a second. I was so upset because I felt like this person was speaking to my people, and I know for a fact that owners and operators, I'm going to just give you some numbers to help you understand why I was so upset. Typically, a gas station owner or operator makes five to ten cents per gallon, okay? I want you to, I want to do a little math for you this morning. If that store owner makes 10 cents a gallon, that's on the high end. If they make 10 cents a gallon at today's cost, that means the store owner has a 2% markup on fuel. 2%. 2%. In case you're unaware, that is nothing. To take that a little further to help you understand how all this works, let me tell you what it costs to build just the fuel system at a gas station. If you want four dispensers, that's going to cost you a little over $600,000. That's for the, the whole fuel system. Tanks, canopy, pumps, everything. It making a 2% markup, that person's going to have to sell 6 million gallons of gas in order to pay, to just pay for the equipment. That's not making any profits yet. At a good gas station, that's going to take them almost 20 years to do. I am furious because the owners and the operators, my friends, are not the problem. But this person in a high level of leadership is saying to the world, they're the ones that are jacking the price up. And that's not how it works. Now, I say all that to say, what I wanted to do was to get on Twitter, my thumbs going, and tell this person how wrong they are. But I know two things to be true. Number one, my reach on Twitter is not significant, and this person would never see my tweet. But number two, if I had responded in that moment, I would not have represented God well, because I was angry. 
I had a right to be angry, right? They were talking about my people. You talk about my people, I'm going to get mad about it. That's how emotions work. I love that our, our story today, our kids' story, has been talking about all week that we can bring our feelings to God. Job had some big feelings as he went through life, as he was suffering. But we need to bring those big feelings to God, not directly to the world. We really need to let God deal with them. If I'd have tweeted something out, doesn't matter how great I made it sound, the people that did see it would not see God's heart. They would see my anger. It's ironic to me how God dealt with me and my heart immediately after getting up from writing this message. He was like, oh, you think you got this, Will? Hold on. Because I feel like I'm pretty good at holding my tongue. Apparently I'm not. Church, the problem is not with our intention. I think our intention is always honest. I'm not wrong about what I just told you about gas station prices. This is what I do for a living, and I know for a fact that those numbers are real. And I wouldn't have been wrong if I'd have tweeted all that. But I also wouldn't have been representing God properly either. The problem is not with our intention. The problem is with our response. That was true of David. It was true of Peter. And unfortunately, it's been true of us. I'd be willing to bet that all of us have a story or many stories of when we have spoken too quickly because we were very passionate about something. And James doesn't end this statement with a negative tone. Look at again how he finishes this in verse 21. He says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's some strong language, but it helps us to understand how serious James was and how, or how serious it was to him and how serious it is to God. This isn't some little, no big deal sin that they were dealing with. Consider what the division, the brashness, and the undercutting comments have done just in our denomination. Or consider what they've done to the church globally. There are factions all over the SBC in particular that are at war with one another. What James is pointing out is that the subject doesn't even matter. The reason that you're fighting is insignificant. The stink that's being created far overshadows what the disagreement was ever about. And people don't even see what they're arguing about anymore. All they see is what James would describe. Let me look at it here again. Moral filth and evil. The reality is that all of us have gotten fired up about the wrong thing at some point in our lives. So what do we do now? Where does that leave us? I know where it left me at this moment, feeling dirty, feeling guilty. James says that we need to rid ourselves of the filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly receive the implanted word. When he says the implanted word, he's speaking of Jesus when he says that he is the word. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. That's what's important, is the word. All the other disputed things don't matter in the end. If you were right or wrong about a, a disputable matter is irrelevant in the kingdom of God. Only Jesus, the word, is able to save our souls. Our doctrines, our opinions, our ideas, they cannot save us. Only the word can save us. That is what we should be speaking of. I want to leave us with some hope today. I want to go back to Peter for a moment. I want to remind us of what the power of God can do in a person's life. When Jesus meets 
His name at the time was Simon. He was a hardworking, stubborn, and I would even go so far as to say sarcastic fisherman. Remember when Jesus tells him to throw his nets in the water and he's like, I've been fishing all day, but whatever you say, man. That's how I would have responded. Jesus calls him to be his disciple. And prior to this moment, we're about to read, Peter's life had had many failures. In fact, Jesus knew that he was going to continue to make those same kinds of mistakes. But look at what Jesus says to him. This is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says to Simon, you are Peter, or in Hebrew, Cephas. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. I could be wrong, but I'd be willing to bet that none of us has put our foot in our mouths quite as much as Peter. I'll say that I've made my fair attempt at it, though. What I want us to leave here with today is that God can do more through you than you could ever imagine. And just because we've made mistakes does not mean that we're not qualified to speak on his behalf. What it does mean is that we need to listen carefully and quickly. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So how do we move forward? We spend time abiding with the Father. As things come up in your life that you're passionate about, that you feel like you ought to speak out about, don't just turn it off and say, nope, I'm not going to say a word because Will said I'll say the wrong thing. Also, don't just immediately say the first thing that comes to mind. Take a moment. Pause. Pray. Ask God what you should do and how you should respond. And let him speak to that. And then do what he says. Because two things are going to happen. Number one, you're not going to look like a fool. And number two, lives will be changed and God will get the glory instead of you. That's our goal. Is to be like Jesus. We always go back to this. Jesus says, I do nothing on my own, but only what I see the Father doing. That's our goal too. Quick to listen. Slow to speak slow to anger. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the challenge that you've given me today. Father, as my passions well up within me, Lord, I ask that you'd give me the presence of mind to just slow down, to listen to you. Father, I pray that same thing for my brothers and sisters in this church and in this room. Father, that you would make a desire for you and the love for your people way more important than being right or being heard. Father, at the end of the day, our desire would be to be like you, 
to move as you move, to do as you do, to say as you say. Father, that you would get the glory and not us. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for the grace that you have poured out on us, for the forgiveness that we receive that we do not deserve. Father, this week, as we move forward, don't let this message move out of our minds, Father. Help us to remember to to talk less and to listen more. We ask these things in your name, Jesus.